so we were in the kitchen and her parents were in the living room and I was like, I'm going to, I was like, Coral, I'm going to go after this thing. I want to leave my job. I'm going to do it. And she just looked at me and basically was like, okay. Welcome to the Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Fi Show. And I could not be doing this thing alone. So, what's up, Justin? Not much, man. Just um, gearing up to go on a little bit of an adventurous Mother's Day trip. So, for everybody out there listening, don't forget that this weekend will be Mother's Day. I'm taking my mom out, did some backpacking just outside of Nashville. She loves waterfalls, so taking her out there for that. But uh, what do you got going on, Cody? Well, thank you for reminding me, Justin, because I honestly didn't know it was Mother's Day this weekend. And I know my mom's listening, so I'm sorry about that, Mom. But I'm currently in Chicago, still on the book tour with Grant Sabatier, a previous guest. And yeah, just living it up, traveling the country. And clearly, I don't know what day of the week it is or when Mother's Day is coming up. But enough about us. I think we just had a really exciting episode, and it really sparked some hope in people who think that they're in a dead-end job, that they can't get to the next level. What do you think about this episode, Justin? I love this episode. I mean, you got a guy who goes from just wanting to do what he loved, not caring about money, wanting to be a band teacher, and then one fateful day on a boat led to him changing everything. And now you know it, he's an entrepreneur working for himself, making over six figures. But I don't want to give Bobby's whole story away. So take it away, Bobby. Oh, dude. It's funny. You know, I saw this meme the other day that was like, somebody shared it with me where it was a a guy that was like, he was like, shake your money maker. And then it was a guy holding up his music degree and he was shaking it. And it was just like, nope, and he slapped him. <laughs> because yeah, I mean, I was, I was a music education major, you know, and that was growing up. I'll be straight up. Like my parents and I didn't talk about money at all. Like that wasn't some kind of thing, which I think is actually pretty common. We didn't talk money. I didn't, I remember when my parents and I sat down and I was talking about the degree that I was going to get. My dad's an engineer. My mom was a secretary to school and they were they wanted me to do something where I went off and made a lot of money. And I remember coming back and be like, no, 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 I want to teach music. And they weren't mad, but I could tell my dad was kind of like disappointed. And I remember specifically being like, I don't care about money at all. Like, this is what I want to do with my life. And then like fast forward, you know, 10 years and like the only thing I talk about is money, I guess. So it's it's weird how that kind of <laughs> stuff happens. But yeah, I mean, like I, I didn't care about personal finance at all until right after I graduated college. I remember like my big goal after I graduated college, I wanted to buy a brand new Camaro. And I have no idea why. Like I look at the car now and I'm like, I don't, I would never drive one of those, but like <laughs> that, I don't know. I know I, I didn't. So to, you know, easily answer your question. No, I didn't care about money at all. I didn't start caring about it until a good friend of mine that is, he's an older guy. He's in his sixties now, but at the time he was in his fifties, he's my wife's father's best friend. He owned a swimming pool company for a long time. He took Coral and I, Coral's my wife. He took us out on a boat just some random day after I graduated college. And it was Coral was just like, Hey, there's this guy, Jim, you've never met him, but he's a good family friend. Did you come out on the boat with us? And I was like, okay, cool. And so we did that. And it was, I didn't have a job yet. And he was like, so how are you? He's like, do you have student loans or whatever? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I got like, you know, like 40 grand. Like, I don't know. I'd probably might not have even known the balance back then. And he was just like, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to take care of him? And I was just like, I don't know. I mean, like you just make the payments, right? Like, it's like whenever the bills come, you pay, you pay the bills. And he was just pretty much just was like, no, like that's not what you're going to do. And so that kind of started this, this thing where he became my friend and he kind of took me under his wing and 
is still my mentor to this day, business and just life and a lot of things. But he really walked me through kind of modified version of the Dave Ramsey plan. Like <laughs> kind of, you know, he was just kind of, he was like, you know, you need to start making bigger payments. And I was young enough Fortunately, like I don't listen to people anymore the way that I used to because I'm 30 now, so I, I'm like setting my ways already. But back then, I was like, really, man, this guy, he's rich because like anybody that had any amount of money was rich to me back then. And I was like, he's rich, like he's a business owner, like I want to do exactly what this guy did. So he kind of walked me through all these steps, and probably 18, I can't remember exactly when I met him, probably 18, 20 months later, I'd paid off my student loans just based on his guidance. So that's when I really got into it. Sorry, I know I've been going on like a long. <laughs> you know, it's just me talking forever, <laughs> but that was really how I got started with this whole personal finance thing. And then, then I started the blog and now like, I don't even know how I got to this point where I'm at now, but it, I've just, I went down the rabbit hole like so far and then this is where I am. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a really cool journey. So when this guy sets you down and starts giving you this, like, Hey, no, this is not what you do. I'm going to tell you what to do. Yeah. I mean, I know you said you looked at him, you thought, oh, this is a guy that's rich. This is a guy I want to be like, it sounds like you kind of took off with it right away. But I mean, did you, was it literally just like right away? You're like, ah, 180, I'm going to do exactly what he's saying. Or what was that sinking period like? <laughs> you know, it's funny because like when I think back on it, I feel very fortunate that I actually listened to him because I think there are a lot of times, like I'm a pretty stubborn person and I don't like being told what to do. I've learned that more. That's why I'm an entrepreneur. Like I, I really don't like being told what to do. But for some reason that day it was, we were out on the water and I just was like, everything he said made a lot of sense because he was like, actually, I remember exactly what it was. We were out on the lake, we were water skiing and there were all these mansions around us. And I remember looking at the mansions and I was like, I looked over at my wife. She was my, might not have even been engaged at that point, but I looked, looked at her and I was like, I want to be in one of those houses one day. And he was like, you're a teacher with $40,000 of student loan debt. It's not going to happen. <laughs> like you're never going to have a house like that. Truth. And I was in that. Yeah, it was true. And it, it shifted my whole thinking. I was like, wow, like I've limited myself so much and I didn't even realize it. So that was probably, probably the moment when I, the switch kind of flipped, you know, and I was like, wow, there's this whole other world out there of personal finance and all that kind of stuff. So I, after that, I was really receptive to it, but that was probably the moment. Like I said, I was fortunate that I actually listened to him. Because if I hadn't, who knows where I'd be right now, but yeah. So now you have your guide, your savior, Jim, and mm -hmm. you, I assume, start the new job. Well, I do know because I know your story, but <laughs> so yeah. what does that look like? Are you just dreading every single day going to school, wishing you could earn more money and kind of accelerate this financial path? Or what was going through your mind when you started that first teaching job? Man, no, I wasn't, I wasn't dreading it because I was straight up, like I was broke. I remember I had $500 before I got my teaching job. Like that was all I had. And so when I got my first teaching paycheck, I was like, I want to say it was like $1,700. And I remember that feeling of like, holy crap, like I, I am rich now. Like I, <laughs> I got this paycheck and I'm rich. And so no, for a long time, I was totally cool with it because I was, you know, I was really passionate about music. I, I like teaching a lot. What I realized though, is that it, the job started wearing on me over time. And I, and I started, you know, really thinking like, man, I want to work for myself. I really want to work for myself, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so that's a hard thing. Like when you want to be an entrepreneur and you have no idea what the job is that you want to do, you know? So like there's this whole searching phase. And so I didn't really start to dread it until I was a teacher for three years. The third year was really hard because that's when I had decided I was like, okay, I'm going to do something else. I don't know what it is yet. And actually Jim owned a swimming pool company. So the summer before my last year teaching, I went with him every day. I rode in his truck with him and I went around and did every pool job with him just to learn the business. 
And so I was like pretty prepared to like start a swimming pool company. I hated the work actually with the swimming pool stuff. It kind of sucked, <laughs> but I really wanted to work for myself that bad. And I was like, I felt so limited by being a teacher. Fortunately, along the way, I started Millennial Money Man just kind of like randomly. And then, uh, and so then I got really passionate about that and kind of found my, my lane. But that was, you know, the first two years of teaching were fine. There were things that I didn't like about it, but at the same time, like I was getting paid and I was paying off my student loans. So like it was fine. But then after I, after I paid off the student loans, I started to kind of look past that. But it was just trying to figure out like what, you know, what I wanted to do. And when you start Millennial Money Man, I mean, obviously you're teaching, but what is your subject matter mostly focused on at that point? Were you pretty just focused in on like teaching people how to pay off college debt or, you know, was it just kind of random stuff that's happening in life? My first post, oh God, what was the first post called? It's still actually on the, on the website. It's the first one on the website. I think it was like something about how to build wealth as a millennial or something like that. I can't remember the exact post title, but it was really just like live below your means. Like the whole thing, the whole thing for me, we were renting a room for my in-laws at that time. Like that's, that was how I paid off the student loan debt. Like I rented a room for the in-laws. I drove this little crappy truck, didn't spend any money. We didn't go do anything. And I just threw everything I could at the loans. And so I was like really big into like this, you know, just living beyond living below, you not beyond living below your means. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and just like really throwing everything you could at your debt and being really aggressive. So that was what the, the first stuff was about. And then, that caught some traction because I remember back when I started and God, I guess that was 2015. Like that kind of content was really popular or like really uh, got some traction. Whereas now I don't, I don't think student loan content is as exciting as it used to be, but that was something where I got a lot of buzz really quickly, even among my friends. But even when I started kind of posting in the, in the personal finance world and getting into this, like it, people really noticed the brand and everything. So that was really how I got started. Just talking like, and dude, I used to be, I'm so embarrassed. I look back at my old stuff and I'm like, I was such a D bag, man. Like the stuff I used to write was so <laughs> like, I was so young and I didn't know anything about anybody else's situation in life. Like I thought I had everything figured out. And then I started getting emails from people where they had these like horrific student loan situations and like just really tough lives. And I, I realized like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And so my content <laughs> has changed so much. <laughs> like now I've become much more like educational and like I've, t- I've taken the, you know, the edge off quite a bit, but that was the beginning. It was just me like, you know, giving millennials the, the hard lessons that they needed to hear or whatever. Yeah. And so something I'm curious about, I kind of want to know the platform that you jumped off. So you kind of alluded that you quit your job after three years, but what did your financial picture look like? Like how much were you earning? How much were you saving? It sounds like you were house hacking hardcore. Your transportation <laughs> yeah. costs were low, but on like a percentage basis, I mean, what were you actually able to sock away? Oh God. See, I don't know on a percentage basis. It was a, uh, it was a lot though. It was basically like, I didn't have any money left over. I didn't have an emergency fund. Like there was nothing like I would, I would have like my, you know, the rent and the food costs and, and gas and that kind of stuff. But after that, like everything went to the student loans and I didn't have any savings. And then even after I paid off the student loans, we kind of did the same thing. I say we, my wife was like way smarter. She had like an emergency. We weren't married, so she had her own money. Um, <laughs> but like she, she had like an emergency fund and like she was saving up for a wedding and all that kind of stuff. But I was just like, just throwing, blindly throwing money. And then I did the same thing in, into my savings account. I just blindly started throwing money because I didn't know, I didn't really know anything about personal finance at the time, to be honest with you. So I was just kind of doing what I thought I had to do. So when I took the, like the leap of faith, I think probably between the two of us, we had about 50,000 saved up. Cause I remember being like, okay, we've got a year of my salary. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to do this millennial money man thing. But I hadn't made any money. 
Like it wasn't a proven business concept. It was just me. I don't know, man. I look at all the stuff that I used to do and I'm like, thank God I actually made it. Cause there were like, there are so <laughs> many things I did that were just horrible. Like I would never advise anybody to do anything that I've done so far, but I was, you know, I was fortunate. So that was kind of the financial picture. It was, I'd saved up cash. I wasn't investing a lot, but I didn't have a lot of expenses. So I was like, I'm just going to do this online business thing. And when you come home to pitch this idea, like, hey, I'm about to just quit my job and start, you know, talking to my friends on the internet for a living. What did, how did she feel about that? Or was it kind of a slower transition where you're like, I promise I can make money? Or did she put you on a timeline? Like, you got six months to figure this out, you know? No, this, okay, this is why I love my wife. My wife, I, this is why I will always, she will get whatever she wants for the rest of her life. Because when I came home, I remember I made the decision. I think my boss, like, got on to me about something. Like there was some ridiculous argument I had with my boss and it was like the last straw. And so I got home and I, I was like, we were still at her parents' house at the time, by the way. If we were, so we were in the kitchen and her parents were in the living room and I was like, I'm going to, I was like, Coral, I'm going to go after this thing. I want to leave my job. I'm going to do it. And she just looked at me and basically was like, okay. And then her <laughs> mom came in and that's the benefit of being young. Like it, if we did the same thing now, it totally would have gone differently. But her mom came in and was like, what? Like she was not comfortable with it at all, but it was really easy to convince my wife. And then the next day I went in and, and told my boss I was leaving. So it was like, it was very like bang, bang kind of thing. And the way that it all came up was my mentor, Jim, I was talking to, I remember sitting in the parking lot and I had my cell phone and I had like my calculator up and I was like calculating all of our money. And that was the first time I realized like, okay, I've got like a year's worth of money saved up. And I was like, okay, Jim, one more year. You know, I was texting. I was like one more year and I'm going to bail. And he was like, man, in the grand scheme of life, because I wanted to save up a hundred grand before I left. And he was like, in the grand scheme of life, a hundred thousand dollars and $50,000 is not like, there's not a whole lot of difference there. If you want to do this, you need to do it now. And so that was when I was like, okay, you know, so I, I, you know, took his advice again. That was kind of like the catalyst for everything. But fortunately my wife's still with me. Like it worked out well for her, but (laughs) I'm surprised. I look back and I'm surprised like, man, I can't believe she bought that or like not bought it, but like agreed that it was a good idea. I feel like this so. man Jim needs some royalties after all this. This is this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he I give him a lot of credit because he it's rare I think to find mentors. It's hard to find mentors. I always talk about it to my readers and stuff like you got to find a mentor, but man, it's hard to find people that are really, you know, I, I consider him to be a friend, not just a mentor. Like he's a really good friend of mine, but it's hard to find people like that that will really take you under their wing and like show you the way, you know? So I I'm very very fortunate and thankful for sure. Something I just want to highlight that I feel like has undermined a lot of times is you had 50000 and you are comparing it to a year's salary, but it sounds like your annual expenses were well below that. So you probably built up, what, like two or plus years of financial runway? Yeah. Or how much were you spending that at that time? Oh, God, man. it's it, <laughs> This is such a long time ago, I'd have to like go back into the numbers. But I think, I mean, seriously, when I say like no savings – everything. I think I was spending $1,300 a month. So I think I was getting paid like 17 or $1,800 a month. And then my wife and I were splitting the rent. It was $500 a month. It was like for a little 10 by 10 bedroom. So it was like whatever, whatever the rent plus food plus gas was pretty much like, that was what I was spending every month. And everything else went into, you know, the loans at first and then savings after. So if I had gone like going back, I would have done it differently probably. Cause it was miserable. I like, I always tell people this living with your parents or whatever, like it, it totally sucks. <laughs> like living with your in-laws is, is not a good experience. Like it, my clothes were out in the garage. Like I had like, we didn't have, it was, it's a really, it was a small house and I'm super grateful, but it was a small house and it was like, 
it was crowded. It was uncomfortable. You know, like I, I look at my house now, I'm like, oh God, thank you. Like, I'm so happy that we have a house of our own now because it was not a way I would want to live again. But you know, when you're young, you can kind of do, I feel like pull that kind of stuff off a little bit better. I would not go back to that lifestyle now. Like you couldn't make me, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> For sure. I just wanted to highlight that it's so powerful because doing some back of the envelope calculations, it sounded like you were spending like 15 grand a year. You had more than three years of financial runway saved up. So if millennial money and man didn't make a penny and you just failed miserably, three years trying as hard as you possibly can, the worst case scenario, you just go back to a normal job. Yeah. I mean, it sounds pretty good. It, no, it does. I, it's just, I always tell people not to do what I did because I feel like even with that kind of financial runway, like, I don't know, starting a business, especially doing it the way I did where you take a leap of faith, especially into something like blogging, I wasn't making very much money for a long time. You know, like I had to start doing marketing work and stuff and that, but man, it was, it was rough for a little bit. I, for probably about six months, I was like, man, I blew it. Like this was a horrible decision. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was rough. It's, it's just starting a business is scary as hell. People don't talk about it because it's all like everybody loves to talk about the, the laptop lifestyle and all that, but it's scary. I kind of want to touch on like what you just mentioned the last sentence. Like you started off blogging, but that obviously, you know, you had a springboard into marketing and that's maybe where a little more success came from. So just what was that transition like? How did you figure out like, you know, blogging maybe is not what I'm the best at. Maybe this is what I'm the best at. And, and then turn it into monetizing it and just growing it. Yeah. So the way that all came about, I started the blog, you know, and I, I'd like put it on my Facebook. That was like my main way of getting traffic was like my own personal Facebook page. <laughs> and so I was, I was just posting stuff and the guy that did my wife's engagement ring, they needed somebody to do their marketing for their business. Like just manage their website, write blog posts, do social media. And he was way into the stuff I was talking about, like living below your means. Like, I think he, I don't remember the exact number, but I think he told me he had like, I don't know, 70 or $80,000 of credit card debt at one point and he ended up paying it all off. So like, you know, he's one of those everyday people that did a lot of the stuff that the personal finance community is talking about, but he's not plugged into that world at all, but he loved what I was talking about. And so one day he just, he kind of like reached out to me and was like, Hey, I love your blog. I love everything you're doing. And then we kind of talked back and forth and back and forth. And I was desperate as hell at the time because I was not making any money with the blog. And I just saw an opportunity because he, he mentioned that he needed somebody to run all of his stuff. And I was like, I mean, well, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, like I'll, I'll do it. Um, and I remember like negotiating and he was, I'd never sold anything to anybody before, but he was like, how much money do you want to do it? I just took a swing. I was like three grand a month. And he was like, okay, that number doesn't scare me. And I was like, holy shit, I just made my first sale. I didn't even know what I was doing. But it was because of the blog that I got that work. So that's why I'm pretty big now. Like when I, when I talk to bloggers, and uh, I see a lot of people like hustling on their blog. Like, I think you should try to leverage your blog to get freelance work so that you can make money and put it back into your blog and then grow it. Like, that's kind of my whole philosophy on it because I feel like it makes it work faster. I literally took the marketing work because I was desperate. And it was a good thing because I learned so much and marketing and blogging go hand in hand. But that was kind of how I did that. Like, that was like the path. I love the way you just kind of frame that because I feel like that's the same exact way I feel about just my own platform on my blog. Like, the things that I've been introduced to, the people I've met, is so much more powerful at this stage in my entrepreneurial life than the blog itself is. It's just like a springboard to meet billions of awesome people. <laughs> yes, and, and so many people don't get that. And I think, man, I love blogging. You know, I really do believe in it, like as a way to make money. I think there's so much opportunity. But I think a lot of people get wrapped up in the I want to work on the beach every day kind of thing. And like that when you start a blog, like I think that there's like six months where you're probably not going to make any money blogging. 
I try to be really upfront with that to people that start blogs and all that kind of stuff, because I think it's a great way to network. It's a great way to get your name out there. It's a great way to learn a ton of skills that you can monetize, especially in this like digital age that we live in. But you're not just going to start making 50 grand of affiliate income your first you know, four months of blogging. Like it just doesn't work that way. I haven't seen anybody do that. If somebody's doing that, then they must really know what they're doing. Like it must be like their fifth blog or something. But like, you know, so for me, like doing the digital marketing work, like trading time for money and all that kind of stuff, like it was totally, it was something I needed to do. And it, it taught me a lot of what I do now, you know, so I've, I've learned a lot from that. And so I'm also curious, we kind of talked about the first few months and you weren't too successful, obviously, but you leveraged it to get this marketing work. When did the real money start to come in? And you're like, holy crap, this thing is making more than my day job was before. Man, let's see. I was doing the marketing work for a while. It's always hard to like think back on the timeline of this kind of stuff. But I remember I was grinding. I remember being super excited because I got a 700, no, I got a $300 sponsorship on the site. Some company paid me $300 to put a widget on the site. And then I remember being really excited because I got like some local home company paid me like $750 to do like a home walkthrough of like a new community or whatever. But you know, it was really just like a couple hundred bucks here, a couple hundred bucks there, maybe like some small affiliate income stuff. And then what really happened for me was the uh, CNBC called me. And that was, that was one of those things. I don't even remember how they like got a hold of me or whatever. I don't, I don't remember how any of that stuff happened, but she, it was a reporter and she called me and we did this whole thing about my student loans. And that story went live on CNBC and that was kind of like when I quote unquote made it, I guess. Fortunately <laughs> for me, I had, I had just put like, it's so, it's so funny to look back on this stuff. I'm like, God, I'm so, like, there's so many times in my business life where I feel like I should have died at this point and I haven't died yet. <laughs> you know, like, so, um, but I look back on it. I put the Facebook pixel on my website like days before the CNBC thing came out and the CNBC thing happened. I got this flood of traffic and then I created all these lookalike audiences based on that traffic. And then I started running traffic campaigns to those people. Like, and that's how the site really started blowing up. And that was like, that was when I started making, you know, several thousand dollars a month at affiliate income and the sponsorships got bigger and all that kind of stuff. So that was like the, the launching point. So I think there was some luck there. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it, I don't know how CNBC found me, but I think also I say luck, it was probably hard work too. Like I was posting on social media constantly. And like, I was doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do as a blogger, like getting my stuff out there. And I just, fortunately, I got that interview and it was it was kind of the moment where it all took off. When you were creating lookalike audiences, were you driving them to an email list, to sponsored content, to like affiliate heavy posts or what was the process there? The process, like my ideology is a little bit different on this kind of stuff because I think from a pure like business standpoint, I think a lot of bloggers now are, they want to play the arbitrage game. You know, like they're playing, they're putting stuff to affiliates or they're only doing conversion campaigns to grow their email list. I took my what I thought was my best content, like the stuff that was like pretty heart wrenching, like my father-in-law passed away a while ago. And I like, I wrote this post about it. And I remember taking one of those and running a traffic campaign. Like I took stuff that was kind of emotional and stuff that was different on Facebook. Cause you don't see a lot of that. I mean, everybody's just trying to make money. And I took stuff that I was like, how can I make an emotional connection with readers? And that was the stuff I ran. And so, you know, I was getting reimbursed with ad revenue and stuff like that. But the reality was like, I wanted to reach people make an emotional connection with them and like build a community really quickly. And so that worked for me. Now it's quite a bit different. I mean, <laughs> like we're, uh, I'm way more strategic about what I do, but in the beginning I was just like, how can I put something on this platform that most people wouldn't put? Like how can, you know, get people, I want people to remember me. I want them to come back. I want them to be lifelong fans, those thousand true fans, you know, and that was how I did it by running stuff to my 
deepest content I felt. So it's a little bit different than what most people would be like, oh, it's a terrible waste of money, but I don't think it is. <laughs> you know, I think it's, I think that there are some times where you spend money in your business where you don't see a direct ROI or return on ad spend, you know, like, and you just make a connection with people. And so that was my, that was my theory on it at the time. So I know you said you don't really do it exactly that way anymore, but do you think that method would still work for somebody who's out there kind of on the newer side of things, building that deeper connection with their audience and focusing on that before they start looking at monetizing or has just the algorithms and the landscape just simply changed since then? Um, you know, you probably could. What I would do now is more of a mix. I would be running like conversion campaigns to get people on my email list so I could sell. You know, I know a lot more about selling <laughs> than I used to used to know, but what I would still probably do is run some stuff for a dollar a day, you know, like a traffic campaign to my best stuff. Because like what I've found, you know, I really do believe that the millennial money man audience, like if you go into my community or if you like just the responses I get from the email list, I feel like I have a really tight connection with my people. Like, I think it's like really, really strong. So I do think that there is a lot of value in having that strength because like when we came out with the Facebook side hustle course, that was a totally unproven concept. Like the whole thing could have bombed, but there were so many people that were like, the only reason I'm buying this is because I trust you. Like I implicitly trust you. And so the hard part about that is it's hard to put a number on that. You know, it's hard to put an ROI on that, but I don't think that I would have been as successful if I hadn't run some of that stuff. So I would do more of a hybrid approach now where it's like, do the things that are going to directly make you money, you know, like run, you know, optimize a post for affiliate income, run traffic to it, run conversion campaigns to get people on your list build a funnel, sell something. But I would also be doing like spend a dollar a day <laughs> on something that, that is going to create a connection with your audience. And I think, I think that creates kind of a well-rounded approach. Some people would disagree with me, but I feel like it's worked pretty well. It's definitely working for you. So yeah, I've been very fortunate, but I think that's a big part of it because I think in the online space, like we're all so focused on treating people that come to your site as numbers and like it's traffic, but I've always tried to see people as people. <laughs> I feel like that approach has really helped me, which is crazy. Like I, it's, it's weird, but like, I really care about what happens to my readers and like how their lives are going and things like that. So, you know, I don't know if that's going to like put a limit on my business at some point, but I really don't care. Cause like, I enjoy, I enjoy what I'm doing a lot. You know, I, I wake up every day and I'm like, I'm pretty happy, you know? So I'm like, I feel, I feel really fulfilled with what I'm doing. So it's a different approach, but that's just kind of the way I do it. I kind of want to hop back into, or just hop into the psychology at this point. So your readership is really growing. CNBC features you. You're earning thousands and thousands of dollars every month. At what point does it become maybe a little unsustainable or at least overwhelming to the point where you think maybe I have to hire some of this stuff out? Because I think that's a struggle that a lot of people have who are aspiring entrepreneurs. They're like, I like once they get to a certain point, they just burn out. Yeah. I'm laughing because I'm like, I wish I had done it so much sooner than I did. I, I straight up, man, like I was working so much, like, and it goes back to the laptop lifestyle thing. And like people portraying their lives on Instagram is like, oh, I barely work. And you know, I make a ton of money. <laughs> I was working my ass off. Like I was, man, I was waking up and just like drowning in like blog posting and social media and learning and just testing thing, like all sorts of stuff. I didn't actually hire anybody until this year or well until January of, uh, I guess it was December of 2017. And it was like, right when we were gearing, we started laptop empires and I was like overwhelmed to the max at that point. And I was like, I need somebody to help me. <laughs> and so I hired my assistant Mel, but I waited until the point where I was way overwhelmed with everything. I always tell people now, like 
it's kind of like when, when they say like NFL players, like the second they start thinking about retiring, like they need to retire. The second you start thinking that you need to hire somebody, you should probably hire somebody to do something. And the cool thing is there are so many people that will do things like it's not that expensive to get help online nowadays. Like you can get a good VA, you can get somebody to help you part-time for like a reasonable amount of money. So I would do that because then you're, you're leveraging your time instead of just working, like spending your time working on the business. So I waited too late (laughs) and I was really stressed out. I remember being like just completely stressed out and overwhelmed. And I think this year has been great because I've lost like 20 pounds this year. Like I was like pushing 200 pounds. I should not weigh 200 pounds. (laughs) I was like pushing 200 pounds. Like I was like semi-depressed. Like it was really, really bad uh, because I was working so much, you know? And, And so I think you should hire people and create more, like leverage other people's time and create more space in your life to like chill. You know, if I, if I could go back, I would do that. So continuing with that kind of philosophy thread, I'm curious because when the story started, you got inspired by seeing these expensive houses, this kind of life of luxury, which, you know, most people in the fire space don't associate with, but then you, and you started living that frugal lifestyle because you had to, because you had the student loans. Well, now you fast forward to now where you're making plenty of money, what does that look like? Like, How do those philosophies intersect? And are you still gravitated towards that luscious lifestyle? Or are you kind of, you know, in the frugal for life? <laughs> you know, I'd say I'm probably in between. I, like this year, you know, we made a lot more money than I was thinking that we were going to make. The business blew up and I was, there are their own challenges for a business blowing up the way our, ours did. And I'm very grateful, but I'm not going to lie. I liked being able to like go do cool stuff. My wife and I went to Italy. I was able to buy her a newer car that was really nice and like that kind of stuff. I enjoyed that. So I'm not nearly as frugal as I used to be. So I, my kind of like my ideology now is like, I want to make a lot of money, but do it in a way I enjoy. I'm not really too interested in, I don't ever want to go back to living in, in my in-laws house and like, <laughs> you know, not in like denying myself all this stuff because I like my life a lot right now. So like it's changed. <laughs> it's definitely changed. I might be weird because I have no interest in retiring super early. Like I have no interest in that. I love what I do. And like, so, you know, if I, if I reach like five, I don't even know what five really is for me. Cause I don't know how much money I want. I want to live a really, really cool lifestyle. So hopefully, I don't know if that actually answered your question. I'm just not as frugal as I used to be basically is where, where it comes down to, but I still live below my means. I still invest. Like I still I invest back into my business a lot. You know, I just feel like I don't want to be super, super frugal anymore, which I don't think is like cool. Like, I feel like that's not the sexy thing to do. Like I should be like living in an RV or whatever, but I just don't want to do that. (laughs) No, I think that's, I think that's perfectly valid inside. I mean, you know, we try to do a good job on the show of showcasing both sides of it. Like, yes, you, you know, you need to be frugal when you need to be, but also focusing on growing your business and increasing your income. And if you've made the money and it's sustainable, there's no fault against it. I mean, you really only have to be frugal when you have to be. And it sounds like you have an income stream that can support living life a little more without any risk. So as long as you're being responsible, which you are, I don't see any problem with that. Yeah. It's one of those things like my ideal lifestyle, like we, we have a house that we love. We live in Texas. So properties are probably a little cheaper out here. So we have a beautiful house that we really enjoy. We travel pretty much whenever we want, but I still drive a 2004 Yukon. Like I don't really, you know, like we don't have car loans or anything like that. Like I still live, a lot of people would be like, you should have nicer stuff. And they tell me that all the time. Like you should have a nicer car and like you guys should have a, a bigger house and that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, I don't really, like I'm pretty happy. So like there is, a, you know, I, I'll, I will never go past, like I'll never have like more credit card debt than I can pay off that month. You know what I mean? Like I'll never go past that kind of stuff. I have those boundaries set, but at the same time, like I'm going to, 
you only live once. You got to like making money is hard. Like, so I want to kind of enjoy the money that I make, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like that's been my that's ideology. YOLO. It, you know, <laughs> you still got the boat. Oh yeah. Yeah. I still got the, <laughs> boat. the boat was actually, it's funny. The boat was one of those things we bought early in my entrepreneurial career. We actually saved up and paid cash for it. And I do that with a lot of stuff now because as an entrepreneur, you just never know. Like a year from now, the business could be like doing terribly. Like there is no guarantee of like, you never know, like next month, am I going to make as much money as I did this month? And so I like not having car loans and I like not like the stuff that we enjoy doing, I'm going to pay cash for because I don't want to have to give those things up. And it might not be like, you know, I, instead of paying for the boat, like I probably could have financed it and invested the money or whatever, but I sleep way better at night knowing like, okay, if I have a bad income fluctuation, we're still going to have all the stuff we enjoy in life. So that that's always been the way I kind of approach that stuff. So it sounds like you've kind of designed this life that you actually really enjoy now. I know you said before you were a little overwhelmed. You were going through a period of semi-depression, but now you love your life. And you love every single day. So what I'm curious about is what the next few years look like for you and what you're going to do or what your process is to get there. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Deep question. Um, that it is because like I think – but I think about this stuff all the time and I think everybody does. You know, I honestly like – I'm in a place right now where I don't need any more stuff. I don't feel like I want to buy any like new cool things or like, you know, I, I really, I liked what we did this year, especially like I felt like my wife and I had a really good time this year, really enjoyed everything. And so I kind of want to just, I feel like I'm in a sweet spot. So I'm just going to do more of that and just continue to like build the business, invest back in the business, invest personally. And that's pretty much, I'm in a good place right now. And I think that's, it's weird because like we talked about like the mansion on the lake thing earlier. And like, I look at that and now that I pay more in taxes than I ever thought I was going to pay, I don't really particularly want to pay the kind of property taxes that you would have to pay (laughs) on a house like that. Like I just wrote the check for our property taxes and I was like, Oh my God. Like I just, that kind of stuff drives, you know, like I hate that kind of stuff. (laughs) Adulting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like seriously. So I'm like, (laughs) You get to a point, because I always wonder this, because I, I have a lot of friends that have quite a bit of money, and I'm always like, why don't they have a nicer house? And like, why don't they have nicer stuff? And I think you get to a point where it's like, every time you upgrade your lifestyle, there's all these extra costs that come along with it. Like if you buy a bigger mansion, well, okay, that's cool. You got the mansion, but you got to pay the property taxes. And then you got to put $50,000 of furniture in it. And then the electricity bill is higher and like all the stuff. And you just kind of get to the point where you're like, do I really need any of this stuff? Like, is it really... so? I honestly, I'm in a pretty sweet spot right now. I just want to grow the business and just reach more people and just keep doing what I'm doing every day. Cause it, you know, you, I think there's something to be said for just being happy with where you are. Cause I feel like a lot of us, especially in the online space, cause we can see what everybody else is doing and we see where everybody's numbers are and everything. Like, you know, it's good sometimes just to be like content with life, <laughs> like just, <laughs> just enjoy being alive and like waking up every day. And I think we don't all do a good, good enough job. And I certainly have been bad at that before. So I'm trying to just be happy with where I'm at. I just want to peel a layer back on something you just said because I really like that. And you said every single day. And so I kind of want to know for – I think this would be beneficial for the audience and just for me too. What your processes are. Like do you have certain time blocking techniques or you do certain things on certain days that make you more effective and productive? Back in the day, no. I just did whatever. Like I was just trying to like survive. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit different now because I've got I've got a team of people and the business has grown quite a bit. So like – I'll usually wake up eh, probably around seven. And then uh, I always, I spend every morning drinking coffee with my wife and we just chill for probably like half an hour and just talk. And I, I really enjoy that. And then 
then I open up the computer and kind of get to work. I mean, we use Asana to kind of manage all of our tasks. So I'll look at Asana and be like, okay, I've got this, 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 and do all that stuff. I've got a planner on my desk that, you know, I keep like a, you know, pretty detailed list of all the things I need to get done. And typically every day just kind of looks like, you know, there's a lot of meetings, there's a lot of, you know, just a lot of email communication a lot of communication with the team and all that kind of stuff. But I just kind of systematically work through it. That's been something I had to develop though, because I'm not a type A person. Like I'm very type B. I'm like, is as backside type B as you could possibly be. Like I don't, <laughs> like it's hard for me to be really super organized, but as the business grew, I was like, okay, I've got, I've got to be more organized. Like I have to have more systems and processes. And then now I really try, you know, I know we're doing a podcast at like, you know, 9 PM my time, but like, I really try to like stop working at five, but I would, the caveat to all that is it's easy to say all that stuff when you've like quote unquote made it. Like there were so many years where like I had no work-life balance, like nobody saw me. I worked constantly. Like I was, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and checking my Twitter feed for some reason at like three in the morning. Like I would do that every day. Like I would respond to everything. So like there is some level of like, you kind of have to do the grind and hustle thing if you want to grow quickly. Now it's way more chill. Like I just, I'm more systematic. I do everything I can to like be able to take off time and spend time with my wife. But there was, there were years where I didn't do that. You know, I don't think people talk about that enough, but that, that was a real, that was a real thing. It was a real problem for me. It didn't work. I I worked way too much. So other than all the things about so far, do you have anything else coming up we should be aware of or anything you want to talk about? You know, honestly, this year I'm not really building anything new. Like there's not going to be any like new courses or new stuff. It's just kind of optimizing everything I have. So like we've got the Facebook side hustle course. That was the one we created back in January. That was really when the business blew up when we put that thing out. It was really teaches people how to do Facebook ads for local businesses as a side hustle. So that one, we're just going to keep growing that. I've got the Facebook ads for bloggers version three coming out. And that actually is coming out this month. And then after that, I think we're going to do a course on email copywriting but other than that, it's just like grow. Like we're just trying to grow everything we already have. Cause I think you get into this place. 2018 was kind of crazy because we, and I keep saying we, like my business partner, Mike Yonda over laptop empires, we just created all these products. And like, you get into this thing where you're like, create, 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 like keep doing more and more and more. And you get to a point where you're like, okay, we just need to stop. We just need to like chill and like do grow the things we already have. You know, like it's hard to stay focused sometimes as an entrepreneur. So that's really it. I mean, 20, 2019 is probably going to be kind of chill. And we're just really like focusing on SEO, focusing on scaling what we already have, getting better at, at promoting the, the products we already have. So that's kind of the the whole goal for 2019, just kind of grow. I'm not really expecting exponential growth or anything like that. It should be slow growth like a, like a normal business does. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that, actually. Well, Bobby, this has been a, a great episode. I really appreciate you coming on. I know me and Cody both do. And I really respect how you're going for that more personal touch and not just looking at all your readers and, and listeners as, as another number, another way to make some money, even though obviously you're focused on that. I think that's really cool. And if people want to keep up, though, with what ventures you do have the rest of the year, is there a good place I can reach you and contact you and follow along? Yeah. So the the website, millennialmoneyman.com, all my social media handles are at Gen Y Money Man, G-E-N-Y Money Man. And then also we have a podcast, the Laptop Empires podcast on laptopempires.com. And that's it. So you can, you can also follow us on Laptop Empires on all of the various social media things too. Sweet. Well, we will link up to all that in the show notes so they don't have to remember all the different places to find you. <laughs> and so yeah. one thing we like to ask all of our guests is, 
if someone's just starting out on their path to just getting a hold of their finances, they want to achieve financial independence at some point, what is your number one tip for those people? Let everybody pass you up. Like that's, that's kind of the thing where I think most people struggle. And I remember I struggled with this a lot. Like when I was starting to do this thing where I was living below my means and all that kind of stuff, I remember seeing all my friends, like they had the nice vacations and they got the brand new cars and the big houses and all that kind of stuff. And I was like living in my in-laws house and, you know, drove the crappy car and didn't take vacations. But I think in life, sometimes like we all, we compare ourselves to everybody else. And I think it's okay. Sometimes like let everybody pass you for a while get your stuff figured out, do the things that you want to do and focus on the things that you want to do. And then just keep doing that. And what you'll notice over time is like all of those people that were ahead of you, like all of a sudden they're asking you how you've done all the things that you did. So I'm a big believer in that. I think you should let people pass you up and just play the long game, no matter what you're doing, business, personal finance, whatever. And if you do that, you're going to probably be pretty successful. And like, it is kind of cool to like, look around and be like, man, I passed all my friends, <laughs> you know? So that's my biggest piece of advice. Awesome. Well, Bobby, now you get to the final question. This is the one that no one's prepared for. It doesn't matter how many episodes you've listened to, because I know you listen to them all. <laughs> Cody's not prepared. I'm not prepared. This is the wild card question. You ready? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe uh, so, I thought it was. All right, Bobby. So give us your best that one time at band camp moment. Oh, geez, man. <laughs> God. Oh, no, I'll tell you what, man. This one time was a teacher. So this is a little bit different. But this one time at band camp, there was a kid that I don't remember what we were doing. We were teaching. I was teaching, obviously. And the kid just got up and ran away. Like he just got up and he sprinted out of the room and I couldn't find him. I was like, this was my first year teaching, too. And I lost a kid during band camp and I could I could not (laughs) find this child. And I was like looking all over the school. I had all the kids fanned out totally disappeared. And so I don't know where, like, I didn't know where he went. His mom called me. She eventually found him, but that was probably like kids do some crazy stuff. But yeah, that was probably the worst one. It was, it was terrifying. Cause that was like a, probably a fireable offense. I would imagine losing a child, but that, that was it. There was a sad part of me that wanted that story to just kind of end where you're like, he ran away and I never found him. <laughs> no, no, he came back eventually. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Well, Bobby, thanks again so much for coming on today and just sharing your knowledge, sharing your expertise and showing what it takes to really grow a brand, monetize it, and eventually scale up to a point where you don't have to worry about the little things anymore. You don't have to live in your in-laws 10 by 10 bedroom anymore. So yeah, just thanks again so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. I appreciate it. Wow, that was another great episode, Cody. And I'm sure when his parents were like, man, we want you to go out and do something that makes money. And then they see him come back and he's going to be a music major and their their heart sinks a little bit. I guess now they can breathe easy. It sounds like Bobby made it. Yeah, he has definitely made it. He's just absolutely crushing it. And it's so inspiring. It's so cool to see someone take a leap. Someone who just has a lot of grit, who has a lot of tenacity, who sees a market opportunity. And instead of going down this path of drudgery that you see people just kicking the can down the road, they're going to quit the job next year or they're going to go do that vacation or start that business. He just kind of jumped out and did it. He did have a nice little safety cushion. I think he said he had $50,000 saved, but he just went out and made it happen, which is so inspiring to hear. Yeah. I mean, he talks about like when he first started teaching that it wasn't a drag because he loved it. He was doing what he loved to do. But then when he started realizing, hey, I want to work for myself, it, it did become a drag. And I think a lot of probably listeners out there can agree that when you find this financial independence space, like maybe before you found it, it's not that you necessarily hated your job, but then when you find it, 
it just becomes so intoxicating. You really want to do it that your job can sometimes be a drag, but a lot of people don't do what you just said. They don't take that leap of faith. They don't go out there and try. Now, you know, Bobby warns people like, hey, don't just jump into it maybe quite as hard as I did and and understand that you're not going to make money in some of these ventures for the first few months. But, you know, he took a calculated risk and he did it at a young age. He knew that he could bounce back from it. Yeah, I think a lot of his choices were calculated risk. So he wasn't making a ton of money in the blog, but he had the vision. He at least knew that he had a cushion and if all else failed, maybe the blog doesn't make him any money, but at least he had that $50,000 to fall back on and then maybe he could go get another job as a music teacher or whatever. And I think this is a recurring theme because he says he only buys things in cash. So he knows he's an entrepreneur. He knows his income is very variable depending on whether he launches the course this month or whether he has this new product or service or whatever. And so he only buys things in cash. So he's not building this lifestyle where maybe his fixed expenses every month are $10,000. Maybe he can go buy a $40,000 boat one month in cash, but now he doesn't have a payment on it. And I just thought that was really interesting. He seems like a guy who's always kind of hedging against anything that could happen in the future. Yeah, and that's an important thing to keep in mind for people who are wanting to go out there and, and work for themselves, you know, be their own bosses, that your your month-to-month earnings are going to bounce around a lot. And so that's why he's doing that, right? He's keeping his monthly expenses down. So he's he's got more certainty in the situation. Now, the one part in the story where, you know, maybe some people who are starting to work for themselves do see some uncertainty, but it's very impressive by Bobby is when the jeweler comes to him and says, hey, I need some help marketing my business. And he's just like, uh, okay, I'll do it for $3,000 a month. You know, so many people out there who are starting to work for themselves, they undervalue themselves so much. Like they just undercut themselves to the point where they they don't have enough money to not only reinvest in the business, but it's not enough to keep them motivated to stick with the business. They almost like underprice themselves so far that they have to quit because they've they have no money to work with. So he went in there, he gave a what ended up being a fair price, but you know, he probably asked for more than he actually thought he was going to get, and the guy said yes. And this is one of the things where My friends ask me all the time, like, hey, Cody, how do I go make money online? What skills should I learn? And I honestly think that the ad space, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Google, whether it's Pinterest, Instagram, the ad space is one of the most lucrative like business segments right now, or the online ad space at least. So when I try to identify market opportunities, I think, okay, what types of people have a lot of money? And what is something that I know how to do that they don't know how to do? So think of your local electrician. Think of your jeweler. Think of these like really high value per trade. So like an electrician might get a job that's $5,000 or a jeweler might get like a $1,000 watch in. If you can provide more customers for them, like if you can get a plumber one more job or if you can get a carpenter one more job because you're getting them to the top of the Google or Facebook or name your social media platform page results, it's not outlandish to charge $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 a month. And after a few clients, I mean, you can do the math. You're making ten dollars to $15,000 a month. I have a friend, actually. I was just talking to Justin about him who literally went from zero to having, I think he has seven clients now, and he's making between eight dollars and $10,000 a month just running ads for them. And it's mutually beneficial. So I really think if there's a skill you want to learn, if you're like, hey, Cody, hey, Justin, I don't know what skill I should learn to start monetizing online ads is such an under leveraged space right now. And there is a lot of room for you to crush it. Yeah, the ad space is definitely lucrative. I mean, we've had multiple guests on who that's how they got their start. I mean, even, you know, Grant, who you're touring around the country with right now, like that's how he got started was all this ad space. And Bobby saw that and he saw that he could help a lot of other people enter that space. And now that's where his business is really focused. Instead of just the blog, he's trying to help others learn how to do those ads for local businesses through his on Facebook course. And if anybody out there listening is interested in that Facebook ads course, we will definitely have that in the show notes. So make sure you go check those out. 
because we definitely don't want people to have a problem. Whoa. What was that, Justin? That's a call to action, Cody. And the call to action this week, and that's something that Bobby talked about towards the end of the episode. It's letting people pass you. And that might sound kind of weird, but what he's saying there is at the start, yes, you're going to have to live a little further below your means than your peers. You're going to have to put in more work than your peers. It's going to look from the outside like they're living this better life and they're kind of passing you. But it's a very short-term thing. And when you look over the bigger picture, you're going to slingshot past them and yours is going to be sustainable growth because you've put in that work and you've built your life around those pillars of knowing that you will always spend less than you earn and you will continue to find multiple income streams. So sure, they're going to pass you up for just a little bit, but then you're going to slingshot past them. Yeah, Justin, I really love that call to action. It's the classic turtle in the hair. Slow and steady really does win the race. If you're building up your businesses, if maybe you're living a little more frugally than your friends, you're going to end up ahead in the end. And so Justin and I typically, as you've noticed, we don't typically push things on you. We don't tell you to do things that cost money because we're super frugal. But if you do want to make some extra money, I really do think that this Facebook ads course is something where you can literally get a return on investment within that first month. If you're the type of person who wants to grind, who wants to hustle, if you want a get rich quick scheme, this is not for you. This is definitely not something you should do. As you can tell, Bobby is clearly a hustler, but I've had so many friends and I've even done some of this where I've done some marketing for either myself, my own businesses or friends' businesses. And I just really think the ad space is super, super under leveraged. So if you're interested at all, check out the show notes at thefyshow.com slash Bobby. You can hit him up. You can pick his brain. Maybe you want to learn a little bit more about his story. And also, if you want to chat about anything else that we talked about in this week's episode, please go join our Facebook group over at thefyshow.com slash community. And if you've been enjoying the content up to this point, please hit that subscribe button, leave us a five-star rating and review it. We really appreciate it. It allows us to get better and better guests on and keep delivering this valuable content. So thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.